Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Larry Loftus revisiting the story of famous World War II heroine, Corey Ten Boom. So all these people suffered, but Corey is so unique that she forgave everybody, including the hardest people, the very person that, you know, that, that betrayed them, that resulted in the death of her father and the death of Betsy, her sister. Um, so that's, for me, that, that was the big takeaway was that this is a great story, but the takeaway is forgiveness. Larry Loftus next. Through extensive research, attorney and author Larry Loftus has expanded our knowledge of Dutch Christian Corrie ten Boom, who became famous along with her family for hiding Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II. Corrie told her story in the book, The Hiding Place. Join me now as I talk with Larry Loftus about his new book, The Watchmaker's Daughter, the true story of World War II heroine Corrie ten Boom. Larry, as I understand it, you like to write in a narrow genre, that of narrative nonfiction World War II espionage thriller. Give us a brief snapshot of your previous books and why The Watchmaker's Daughter fits that genre. So I write narrative nonfiction thrillers, and most people think of thriller as fiction, like you're reading, you know, the James Bond type books, but they're they're narrative. The story is completely true. Even the dialogue in every book came from a directly from a primary source, uh, so I didn't make up a single word of dialogue in any book in any of these books. So, the um, the first one was End of the Alliance about the uh, the spy that Ian Fleming based the James Bond character on, mm. uh, and then Codename Lease was the second one about an o- uh, an SOE spy operating in France. The third was a lingri- was a book called The Princess Spy which is Aileen Griffith, an OSS agent operating in Madrid during the war. And then finally, um, our favorite, <laughs> uh, Corey Ten Boom. And unlike my first three books, they were all spy books because I like spy books. I mean, I, I, I like reading spy books. Mm-hmm. I like the, who doesn't like James Bond. You know, you grow up watching the James Bond movies. It's yeah. exciting. Um, but I wanted to write uh, true stories but make them in a thriller format. And that's extremely hard to do because they're true. You can't make anything up. In fiction, it's easy. Okay, <laughs> chapter three, we'll just bring in a gun. Chapter eight, we'll bring in a dead body. Chapter, and, But yeah. you can't do that if it's nonfiction. So it makes it difficult for me to find stories. I can't just have one cool thing they did, one great thing they did. I have to find a story that's filled with it, uh, with amazing things that happen and drama and excitement. And yes, guns and yes, dead bodies and all that stuff. Um, so I have to look really hard. So when I finished my third one, The Princess Spy, I, was, I thought, okay, I want to do another one just like this, but I'd like to do A, a different country because I'd already done uh, Pop Off, I ended the Lion's Mouth was Portugal, Codename Lease was France, uh, The Princess Spy was Spain. So I wanted another country. Uh, and, and I also wanted a different spy agency because I'd already covered MI6. I'd already covered SOE. I'd already covered the uh, the American OSS with Elaine Griffith. 
So when it's, I wanted to new, well, I'd covered all of them. Now, <laughs> so my mind kept going back when I was doing research for Codename Lease, who uh, was caught. She was captured. They put her in Ravensbrook uh, concentration camp. And uh, during my research, I had a friend of mine say, hey, you got to, you know, you got to read The Hiding Place because Corey was there at the same time that Odette Samson was. And I, I knew of the book. I knew of Corey, but I'd not read it. So, I, of course, I, I read it. And if you look in Codename Lease, there will be a number of, in the end notes in the back, there will be places where I'm citing uh, to what Corey revealed in The Hiding Place because my character, she, she was a spy. She'd already been condemned to death, so they put her in a bunker. She couldn't see anything. She couldn't see what was going on around the camp. Well, Corey was in the regular barracks. She saw everything, the roll calls, the daily beatings, I mean, all the stuff that happened around the camp. Uh, so it gave me eyes and ears outside the camp. So when it came time to do book four, my mind kept going back to Corey. And I thought, OK, this will give me a different country, the Netherlands. Uh, and it won't give me another spy agency. But while she wasn't a spy, she and her family, they were part of the Dutch resistance, mm -hmm. which is almost like being a spy, because the consequences are basically the same. If you get caught, you're either going to be sent to a concentration camp or you're going to be shot. Yeah. So that gives it the drama, the tension and all that that you get with with normal spies operating for the country. So that's what led me to mm. do. Uh, and, and actually, I, I had to make the decision. Does the hiding place tell all the story? Because if it does, then I, I have nothing to write about. But based on my other three books, uh, all of which had prior biographies or autobiography or autobiographies or in one case, both, um, I learned that. That biography or that autobiography, you know, might only have half the story. So when I when I read The Hiding Place, I just knew instinctively, uh, you know, what was covered. Uh, and I just knew this is only 10 percent of the story. Hmm. I, I've got to I've got to find the other 90 percent and tell it. So I started doing research. And um, Corey, by the way, did not write The Hiding Place. It was written by professional writers and their names right under hers, uh, John and Elizabeth Cheryl. That's who wrote every word of the book. Now, obviously she's telling them audibly, mm -hmm. but they're, you know, they're jotting down their notes to, sure. to write. Um, and it, it doesn't, it, it leaves out. One of the things that shocked me is it left out the second most important character in the story. In, in the Corey story is a, uh, an 18 year old Dutch boy by name, by the name of Hans Poli. He was the first person into their home, the Bay A's, they called it. He stayed longer than anybody else, nine months. Um, and he was the one that said, we have to create a hiding place. He had the idea. He said, we've got to create a hiding place. And by the way, two people had to, two groups of people had to hide. Jews have to hide. Everyone knows that. But there's another group that has to hide, and those are Dutch boys. Mm. Like Hans, who was 18. He was a university student. The Germans... Uh, needed needed men to work in their factories because all their factory workers had been shipped off to war. So they would go through occupied territories and snatch boys off the street to send them to Germany to work in factories, basically never to be seen again. In fact, one of Corey's nephews, that happened to him, never seen again. And so, so they would dress up as girls, right, to kind of well, disguise so themselves. Hans, Hans Poli, uh when he's when when he's into their house, his mother knew Corey from church, and she said, "Hey, you know, my son's eighteen. We don't want him to get caught up." It was he had a close couple of close calls where they snatched they they would snatch up thirty people at a time, you know, 
Then they would go door to door. They started knocking on mm. doors and they would just raid houses and grab the boys. So Hans's mother said, hey, can, can Hans stay there? She said, yeah. So he comes in um, and he does something a, a little bit scary from Corey's standpoint. He joins. He's the first person to join the resistance. And uh, that's dangerous. If, you, if you're an active member of the resistance, you're at risk of being shot. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> he figures, well, I have to tell Corey because it, if I get caught, they're going to realize I'm staying there. They're going to find out. And, and then it's going to implicate the whole family. So I've got to tell her. And so he thought she'd be really upset because it brings danger. And instead, when he told her, hey, I've joined the resistance, just want to let you know, she's like, oh, great, <laughs> fantastic. We'll help you use our home as your headquarters. He's like, OK. <laughs> he started the, mm. the house becoming involved in the resistance and his personal role was as a courier. So as you just mentioned, he can't and he's using Corey's bike. He can't just go out on Corey's bike as 18-year-old Hans Foley because he'll be snatched off the street. So they dress him as a girl. So every time he has a courier run for the resistance, he dresses as a girl. Um, and he did very well. And the resistance said, great. By the way, um, here's a gun. They gave him a gun. And by the way, under the Nazi law of the occupation, if you were found with a gun, that was a capital crime. Guns found in your home, that's a capital crime. You are killed. You are executed. So they gave him a gun. And then they said, hey, we want you to shadow this Gestapo officer who's notorious because we're thinking of taking him out. Mm -hmm. You know, we're thinking of killing this guy. Well, Hans doesn't, doesn't take long to figure out, well, they, they just gave me the gun. They're asking me to shadow him. You know what he's thinking? I'm not an assassin. I'm not even a soldier. <laughs> But that's the, that's the time, you know, that's the resistance. So he has all this pressure. Anyway, he's not even in the story in the hiding place for mm. whatever reason. Uh, another person that I found very useful, one of the guys who did stay in the Bay sometimes was Peter's, uh, Corey's nephew, Peter Van Warden, mm. who was Nolly's son. Nolly was Corey's sister, who was Nolly's son. And he wrote his own memoir about this called The Secret Place in 1954. That's not in the hiding place either. And he had all this great stuff about what happened to him personally, sometimes in the house, sometimes in other places. Uh, and then Poli came out with his own book after Corey died. Uh, this was like in, I don't know, 92 or something. But uh, <laughs> his book was called um, Return to the Hiding Place. So I had to read that. And then finally, I had to go. All of Corey's archives are at Wheaton College in the Billy Graham Center. Everything. That, that's where the estate gave 100% of her files records. So I had to go there to finish my research. And so I went through box after box after box and it, they have everything. They have all of her notes, all of her letters, all of her photographs, all the photographs from that time in the Bay. And the first thing I noticed was I'm looking at all these photos. Hans is in almost every single photo. <laughs> and then on one that he's not in, on the back of the photo, it says, most likely taken by Hans Poli. So this is the most important guy there. Um, so anyway, in doing that research, uh, the guest books from the Bay Area are there. Her prison letters, the letters that she's sending out to uh, her sister, Nolly, uh, are, are in there. Everything's in, in this these massive files. 
uh, all of her notebooks, uh, sketches, things she would write in prison, little scraps of paper. They, she saved all that. So anyway, after going through all that research and all the files, I just said, it's, the hiding place is not even 10%. It's less than 10%. I have to write the story. So, uh, so that's what created, or that's why I wrote The Watchmaker's Daughter. And um, so, of course, Hans Poli plays the yeah. prominent role he should, uh, as does Betsy, as does Casper, their father. Uh, I did a lot more research. Corey wrote about him in some articles. Uh, this great, uh, I shouldn't say later, became became a Christian. Um, the, the, the man who was the German who was in charge of really their destiny. Hans Rams was his name. And he was like a, like a judge, uh, in the, in the prison before they went to concentration camps. And so he, you know, basically said, okay, this person executed this person, concentration camp, this person. So he's the one that made all the decisions and all of the family had to be interrogated by him. Corey, Betsy, uh, Peter, they were all interrogated. And lo and behold, and, and Peter goes into this great in great de detail in his book, every single one, they're all interviewed by Hans Rams independently, and he is a straight-up, typical prototype Nazi soldier. That's the way he's trained. That's what he's, he's good at what he does. Mm -hmm. Very strict, very disciplined. <clears throat> and independently, when he's interviewing them, interrogating them to find out what they did, every single one starts witnessing to him. <laughs> they share the gospel with him independently. And Betsy says, Lieutenant Roms, do you mind if I pray for you? He's like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, and he, and he has to interview these people multiple times. And then when, when he's with Corey one time, Corey says, um, Lieutenant Roms, because she, she, she kind of knows what the Nazis stand for. She goes, Lieutenant Roms, are, are, are you in a dark place? Hmm. Well, it hit him like a ton of bricks. Yeah. He said, you have no idea. Hmm. You have no idea. I have a wife. I have children. I have no idea if they were killed last night. And he's like having an emotional breakdown because his family, he, he is, he is heartbroken because he doesn't know if they're going to be bombed tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So, mm. All three of those people just witnessed to him, and they don't know what happened to him until after the war. And I don't want to—I got to be yeah. careful not to spoil part of the story. <laughs> but they come across him later. They Peter sees him later, and Corey sees him later, long years after the war's over. Um, and I, and I won't spoil it there, but I will say it was unbelievable. Uh, and 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 Corey actually met another uh, guard in Ravensbrück who'd been very cruel to her. And, and he came up and said, after she spoke at a church and said, hey, I, I became a Christian. I, I know that God's forgiven me, but I, I hope, can I hear that you forgive me as well? And Corey couldn't do it. You know, this guy was cruel. Ravensbrook was hell on earth. Yeah. And so she just said a quick prayer. Lord, I, I can lift my hand. You do the rest. And, and so she lifted his hands and she said, when they touched hands, it was like this electricity and warmth and love that went between them through their clasped hands. And she said, yes, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you. Anyway, so that's that kind of stuff is, is really amazing because I tell people, 
Corey was not unique in, in helping Jews or helping Dutch divers. Thousands of Dutch families did that. Uh, in my research, I found one woman who had a very small apartment and she had 26 Jews in her home at the time, 26 mm. in one small apartment. Well, the, in the Bay A, which is three stories, they, they would have generally between about four to eight, somewhere, depending on the day, between four and eight. Mm -hmm. So um, Corey was not unique in that she had, you know, she helped hide people, her and her family. Uh, she was not unique in, in that, uh, you know, she was involved in the resistance. Well, almost, you know, all the patriots in Holland were secretly doing stuff, including Dutch policemen who were sort of pretending to go along with the Nazis, but helping, you know, the, the, the patriots locally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where Corey's unique, um, and, and she's not unique in that she suffered. She went to Ravensbrook. My character, Odette Sampson, was at Ravensbrook. She's not unique in that she suffered. Where she's unique is she forgave everybody. She forgave the Germans immediately after the war. She forgave that guards, in particular that one guard who was very mean and cruel to her. And then the hardest one was she had to forgive the guy that betrayed the family that ended up, you know, the Gestapo ended up arresting, arresting everyone in the house. And that person who betrayed them was not a German. He was a Dutchman. He was one of their neighbors. And that Quislings, you know, and, and that was the hardest thing for her because of him. My father died in prison. My sister died in concentration yeah. camp, all because of him. So she forgave him. She wrote him a letter told him she forgave him, shared the gospel. So that's where Corey's unique, is that her ability to forgive everybody. And then, mm. as you know from the book, she she did more than that. I mean, she essentially became a mother, Teresa, and, and started helping people. Uh, first, Betsy had pushed her to do this when they were in Ravensbrook, saying, look, Corey, Betsy was a saint, by the way, an absolute saint, mm -hmm. as was her father. And she said, Corey, look, the most hurt people in the world right now are the Germans. I read nine million of them are homeless. You have all of these these women who have lost their husbands. They've lost their sons. They have no homes. Um, they're the most hurt people of all. We have to minister to them. And Corey's like, what? You know, at the time, she's thinking, no way, I'm not setting foot in Germany. But that plays on her heart as time goes by. And so after the war, she, she remembers, she goes to Germany to help them. And, and, and she uh, is speaking at a church. And this gentleman comes up and says, hey, I, I heard about what you were doing in Holland. Because Corey had owned, opened basically like convalescent centers. Mm -hmm. She took one home where people that had been betrayed or people that had been hurt by the war or had been a prisoner during the war. These are Dutch people. They she allowed them to stay in this beautiful home that had been donated to her, essentially. And then for the pariahs, the people like the guy that betrayed her, she allowed them, those people, to use her home. So they moved into her home. Um, and then so she goes to Germany and this after speaking at a church, this German says, I heard about what you're doing in the Netherlands with the, with those two homes. Well, look, we, we could use your help to do that same thing here. And Corey's remembering what Betsy had said. We have to help the Germans, too. And he says, look, if you'll go with me, we have a former concentration camp at Darmstadt. You know, it's empty now. We'd like you 
to do your thing and turn that into a convalescent home where people that are scarred, injured, emotionally damaged, homeless, husbandless, whatever, they can come there. So Corey goes there and it looks like a concentration camp. I mean, there's barbed wire, you know, everywhere. The place is a wreck. Um, and Corey just looks at it and says, okay, we're going to paint everything. We're going to paint the insides. We're going to paint it happy colors like blue and green, things that are living. We're going to put flower boxes at, in front of every window. We're going to put flowers around the place. Of course, get rid of the barbed wire. We're yeah. going to put flowers all around. So in my book, I include a photo of a before and after. Darmstead as concentration camp. Darmstead when Corey's done with it. And it's amazing. I mean, it looks like a fun, nice place to go uh because of the reformation that, that they had had done that's so. amazing well larry if i could reintroduce you mr larry loftus is my guest and we're hearing about the watchmaker's daughter the true story of world war ii heroine cory tin boom and of course larry as you, as you said you you believed and you've certainly demonstrated that in this conversation that 10 percent of what is known about cory tin boom and her family is in the hiding place and you've discovered through Poli and uh, the the other uh, in in the uh, archives at uh, at the Billy Graham Center there just so much information so many photographs and what you've been telling us here is just amazing I, I wanted to ask you and I know our time is going very quickly but a very interesting aspect of the Ten Boom family is for generations they had a love of Israel a love of the Jewish people and I believe if I remember correctly it was Corey's older brother Willem, that actually studied anti-Semitism, got a PhD in it. and In was Germany. In Germany. In just, Germany. Just as kind of coincidental with Hitler mm -hmm. taking power. Mm -hmm. So as as time went on, Corey visited, was it 60-plus countries in this in this remarkable uh, itinerant ministry of, of, of gospel preaching and uh, telling her story of, of forgiveness and of... Uh, God's redemption for even yeah. Nazis. Yeah, 66 countries all over the world, uh, including prisons. Like, like she, she went to the most notorious prisons in the U.S. Mm. Uh, and, and the one that I found most interesting, she went to Africa many times. And, and by the way, I saw, I, in, the, in the archives, they have all of her passports. So I just went through, there's like four passports in there. They're all full. And I just went through page by page, so I just saw all of these countries, and then there's a, there's a number of them from from Africa. Well, one of the places that she went to to share her faith was uh, an island off of Africa that was used to house um, uh, people that had leprosy. Well, leprosy is contagious. Mm -hmm. So if you go, if you're going to meet and talk to these people, you've got some risk too. So she even went to a leper colony on an African island as part of her ministry. You mentioned uh, in the book, there's there's a mention made of the famous Jewish uh, girl whose diary became so well known, and Frank makes yeah. an appearance, and her family. Yeah, yeah. What it, when I was doing the research, I realized there were three. Four people, including Hans Poli, but there are three people that absolutely had to be included because they're there at the same time. Anne Frank is a 13-year-old girl in Amsterdam, just 10 miles away from Harlem, where Corey is. And Nolly, by the way, was arrested, was imprisoned in Amsterdam. So the family's in Amsterdam all the time. So here's Anne Frank writing a calendar day by day. So I'm 
overlapping Anne Frank's diary with my own diary of what happened th with the 10 booms. And then at the same time that she's doing that in Amsterdam, there's another 13-year-old girl named Audrey Hepburn, who is in Arnhem, not far away. And she later shares what she saw and what she did. So I have to include Anne Frank in the story. I have to include Audrey Hepburn. And then the third one was Queen Wilhelmina. Queen Wilhelmina, most Americans have never even heard of her. She was to the Dutch what Winston Churchill was to the British. Mm. She was their hope. She was their anchor. And so they had. she had to flee. They got her out just in the nick of time when Rotterdam was bombed and The Hague was about to be bombed. So they got her out on a British destroyer in the nick of time. She's in London. Well, she would broadcast just like Churchill would broadcast messages out for the British um, and, and secondarily the French to encourage them. Queen Wilhelmina would do these great speeches to her people in Dutch on the BBC to encourage the people in the Netherlands to keep up the fight, to hold on. Uh, so she was a huge encouragement. And Corey uh, talked about how they love listening to her on, on the radio. I'm wondering, there's so much in this book, and you thank you for giving us such a tremendous uh, glimpse into some of these uh, little known or really till this point unknown uh, facts about the the story of Corrie Ten Boom and the and the uh, the family and the Dutch resistance and so forth. But I'm wondering, would there be a lesson or two that you hope that readers will not miss? And what impact, what influence has all of this had on your personal life, on your faith? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned what I thought was the, the big takeaway, and that's how Corey was different. So many people suffered during World War II, mm -hmm. Jews and non-Jews, Dutch people who, who uh, in, the, in the Dutch winter, the, the, it's called the, 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 the um, I forgot, winter, they had, they had a special name for it, where 16,000 Dutch people starved to death um, during one winter. So all these people suffered, but Corey is so unique that she forgave everybody, including the hardest people, the very person that, you know, that, that betrayed them, that resulted in the death of her father and the death of Betsy, her sister. Um, so that's, for me, that, that was the big takeaway was that this is a great story, but the takeaway is forgiveness. And, and you see that play out in multiple parts in the book with the guard, the Ravensbrück guard that was very cruel to her. Corey has to forgive him. And then with Hans Roms, and that's a whole, this is, this is like an Academy Award, yep. you know, bait to, to, to be this guy Hans Roms because he makes this huge character arc, huge, prototypical Nazi to... Uh, I'll, I'll save it. And that he's right at the beginning of the book, that, that scene where he is questioning her, uh, the yeah. lieutenant. Um, and uh, perhaps this is way off in the future or not even a right question to ask. Could this make it to the silver screen? Funny you should ask. Um, I've already signed a deal. I've already signed a deal with the production company. The way that it works is the production company attaches you. Uh, they attach the rights to the book. And then they bring in a director. Uh, I'll be co-writing the screenplay, but they bring in a director and then they pitch it to the studio, whether it's Paramount or it's Netflix or Amazon Studios. They pitch it to the studio who funds the whole thing and will distribute it. So we're in that process now. 
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, attorney Larry Loftus, author of The Watchmaker's Daughter, the true story of World War II heroine Corey Ten Boom. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's John Nielsen on what the Bible has to say about angels, who they are, and what they do. Our understanding of angels should actually increase our reverence and our love for God when we consider these wonderful spiritual beings that he's created to accomplish his purposes, to serve as messengers, to encourage his people, and to serve God alongside men and women of God. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.